Hey, all my friends out there on the World Wide Web, welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 287, and it has been a little while. I'm sure at this point you're even wondering, like, is this ever coming back? Is the Everyday Missionary done forever? I kind of asked that question myself, but yes, it's back. I'm kind of putting it like in the spirit of my Kraken. You can see if you're watching, I'm wearing my favorite Kraken sweatshirt. The background behind me is definitely in the spirit of the deep, which is where the Kraken live. And uh, we just snapped a a four-game losing streak here last night, which is great. We had like this nine-game winning streak. Before that, we had this long losing streak. But then we went on this winning streak, and then we went on this losing streak. And now we're back to hopefully a winning streak. But just as the Kraken lost four in a row, we lost four weeks in a row together. But now here's my uh, attempt at a commitment for everybody that listens. Um, I'm hoping to go weekly for a while. I'm just almost trying to get myself back into that rhythm. Uh, The last couple months of uh, 2023 just had tons of spinning plates, all kinds of things going on internally, externally. And uh, so I kind of stepped away a little bit from some things and then really gave me a chance just in a moment of kind of openness with all of you, gave me a chance to go, do I want to keep moving in this sphere? It's interesting. I've been noticing lately a lot of people in the podcast world and the YouTube world or whatever, they're all like just... I need to stop. I'm, my life is about generating content. And sometimes when you don't feel like you have much to draw from as a content creator, uh, that can always be kind of challenging. And it's weird for me to think about that's what I do, because for the most part, I've always thought of myself as like kind of a preacher teacher. But a lot of what the preaching and teaching is, is developing ideas and unpacking those and then trying to do it in such a way that it is practical or it's clever or it's kind of visual in some way. Uh, and so, you know, there are times or seasons certainly where you go, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't know if I have much more in the tank to create content right now. But as I press now into 2024, I'm feeling kind of a renewed sense of drive and spirit. I'm feeling a lightning of the load in my own head and heart, which is is fantastic. I'm also amping up with a lot of coffee in my yellow cup here. Mm. And it is loaded with protein because that is what a good personal trainer tells everybody to bone up on is a lot of protein. Uh, matter of fact, fun fact, if you are lifting weights, one gram of protein for every pound of body weight, that's just a little freebie because you are t- tuning in today, which when you go, that's a lot of protein, they go, right, that's what I I put it in my coffee every morning and then I drink it in the afternoon and I drink it before I go to bed. It's the only way I could get that much protein in my life. But we're not here to talk about protein or coffee or Kraken or whatever else. No, this is 2024. And I'll tell you what, I've been thinking a lot about, hey, what are some of the things I want to deal with in 2024? And I want to think about and kind of focus on how to navigate the next year well, because the next year it has the potential to be a real crap storm. All right. And it does because, listen, there's all kinds of cool things happening in 2024. Uh, Like for us as a church, Redemption Church, if you've never visited, never checked it out online, check us out, iamrc.org. Very cool place. Uh, We are in the middle of a building project, uh, and we're going to be moving into that this year. So for us, that's a really exciting time. But for the society at large, 2024 means election year. Yay! And this one's shaping up to be a doozy, baby. Uh, let's see. It was two nights ago, I think it was, that uh, former President Donald Trump won uh, New Hampshire. So he is clearly the front. Well, he's been the front runner. 
to uh, be the Republican nominee, and he will continue in that capacity unless there's some legal thing that probably comes up between now and the election uh, that would completely remove him. But I think realistically, there's nothing going to be like that that happens. So you're going to have the the two parties that be the current president, Joe Biden, the former president, Donald Trump, uh, going head to head for the next president of the United States position. And that has the recipe to create a lot of friction, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, a lot of division. And uh, listen, that's going to be a rough patch, right? And, and this is kind of why I wanted to then talk about the topic of the day, which is all about kind of the idea of peacemaking. In fact, I labeled it the art of reflection over offense. All right. And so let me kind of give you the sense of why I'm doing this. I'm going back to 2020. I'm going back to 2016. I'm going back to these different times where things were pretty rough in the political cycle. Like every time, you know, we have a presidential election, there can be friction and frustration, right? We know that, right? Tempers are going to flare, everything else. Um, but but it seems like in, in, in with these personalities, right, there is just extra kind of like we're cooking with like, I don't know, like rocket fuel now, not just like good old fashioned LP gas. No, we're using rocket fuel. To, I don't know, barbecue a steak. And, and so with that, uh, there is all kinds of temptation for us to get pulled into the friction campaign, the friction game, right? This frustration, anger, uh, kind of for no better word, ready? Right? Here's the word for the day. This judgmental attitude that gets amped up in these cycles, because that's exactly what it's designed to do. And I know you know this, I know this, we all know it, that the outrage machine is powerful. The outrage machine is a marketing tool, and both sides are going to leverage that to no end. And their goal is to get you and I just frankly so pissed off at the other side, so fearful of our future, so angry at the left or the right, that we completely lose our ever-loving Jesus mind. We lose the Jesus mind completely, and we're just fully in the weeds of our own flesh, right? That's what Paul likes to call it, our sinful thing in us, that elephant that we ride that can go a nasty direction, that elephant in us, it is going to want to pull toward every conceivable bad mentality in the next several months, right? We're going to be tempted to that a lot. And so in light of that, I wanted to come to the podcast, at least for this first one of 2024, and I think it's going to be a reoccurring theme, and I want to elevate the importance of being a peacemaker. And here's the cool thing about this, right? If you're listening into the podcast and you're like, oh, so he's going to be talking about problems with Trump or he's going to be talking about problems with Biden. Uh, uh, that's not my focus because my hope is the listeners of this podcast, some of them are going to be supportive of the Republican Party. Some of them are be supportive of the Democratic Party. Some are going to be left. Some are going to be right. And it applies to all because both of those sides want to piss you off somehow, right? And and that's the way they win, right? They win by getting us to be so just, um, again, I'm gonna use the word judgmental, judgmental of the other side that we become like these, you know, uh, kind of either rabid dogs or at least we just kind of go out of fear and insecurity and the desire for security. Uh, I'm going to idolize my side and vilify that side, or I'm going to demonize them and I'm going to elevate us, whatever it might be. And I go, that's not the Jesus way. That is not the Jesus way. The Jesus way that I'm going to talk about this morning, I'm going to give it some context, but the Jesus way is that of being a peacemaker, not just a, a peacekeeper. Like you're just going to low, like ride low and do nothing. 
No, we're to be the creators of the peace, right? We're to be the actual instruments that bring wisdom and insight and calm and clarity and kindness to bear on real world environments that are just all amped up and ripe for, ripe for the warfare, right? We have to be that kind of different property in the space of life. And, and part of this in, in, in the wheelhouse of this, why I keep going back to this word judgment then I bring this up in part because Christians do have a bit of an infatuation at times, I think, with being judgmental. Now, I would actually say that the disbelieving world, they're just as awesome at it. They're just as awesome at it, right? So I'm not trying to say like, oh, Christians are worse at this than the world. I think the world is incredibly judgmental. I think the difference, though, is that we... We are called to be, more than anything else, instruments of Jesus in the world. And I think what that calls us to in many ways is to really reduce down the level of judgment that we tend to sometimes exercise, right? Because judgment is easy. I said this on Sunday, like being judgmental takes zero work, doesn't take an ounce of energy to become judgmental. It takes a ton of work to lock down your tongue, change your attitude, not flinch in the midst of something and to be be like in that space of saying, I'm going to go the other direction. I'm actually going to be kind. I'm actually going to try to bring the temperature down, reduce the salsa level from scalding hot to mild or even just like super chill, right? Like that has to be that thing that we want to own, that we want to take ownership of, because here's what's going to happen through the course, I think, of the year. Um, if you fall to the left, you're going to get really, really frustrated at, at at people on the right, not simply at Donald Trump. You're going to get frustrated at people on the right. And if you're a Christian on the left or even a non-Christian on the left, you're going to be scratching your head as to how all these people that claim the love of Jesus, claim the, the message of the New Testament, how they can be so supportive of somebody that kind of says and does what they do. And so your temptation is going to be to then judge them. You're going to judge their authenticity. You're going to judge their faith. You're going to judge their motives. You're going to judge all these things, right? And it's gonna, that's gonna be the temptation. If you're on the right, you're gonna look at people on the left. And you're going to think, man, how can any of them ever be Christians? You can't be a Christian and be on the left. You can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and vote for Joe Biden or whomever you see on the ticket at that time. And the temptation is to judge and say, none of those people are saved. And if they're saved, they're barely saved because they don't have any real fruit. Because if you have real fruit, fruit, you're going to be on our side of the equation, right? So you get the idea that the temptation to judge is going to be very, very high. And the temptation to anger is going to be very high. And even that I want to say about anger is that we want to put that in perspective. See, uh, both judgment and anger are important to me, and here's why. Um, Yes, I believe the New Testament does call Christians to a type of being judicious, right? I'm going to remove the word judgment for a minute. I'm going to use the word judicious because judgment in our society has a tone where judicious has an assessment but removes the tone. In other words, I think so often when we talk about, uh, you know, exercising judgment or being judgmental, there is a tone of superiority in that. You know, I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. I'm better than you. I'm holier than you. This is why I'm identifying you're broken, you're dumb, you're weak, you're sinful, you're whatever. And there is kind of a superiority problem there. And so I I like the idea of saying, I think the heart behind it is to be more judicious, which means you're making an assessment about conditions, but you're not throwing energy into it that also has this tone of superiority, right? And self-righteousness. So yes, I think Christians are to be judicious and we'll talk about even how you exercise that in a couple of minutes here. But the other thing I want to say in this is that you want to, um, 
be very cautious when it comes to justifying anger. All right. Because some people will say that they'll say, oh, but but the Bible says be angry and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So anger isn't a sin. You can be angry. Just don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I'm like, great, let's play that game. Let's make sure that by the time it goes down, which for us in the Pacific Northwest right now is about 515 at night, that your anger is gone by 515 at night. In other words, then take the text at face value. You're not allowed to stay perpetually angry day for day for day for day for day, right? You have to end it relatively fast within a 12-hour cycle, I'm, a, I'm supposing. Um, and then more to the point, uh, even as Paul speaks to that and people speak of righteous anger, after my 53 years on the planet and my 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've come to the conclusion that Christians rarely wield righteous anger well. I think they wield self-righteous anger more easily. I think I know for me, uh, when I feel anger, even though I can say, hey, there's a verse for this, there's a passage for this, there's a biblical precedent for this, I just find that my anger, though, is still fueled less for or out of love of the person that I have anger toward and more toward I'm butthurt, you know, or I'm just angry at them in a deeper kind of self-interested way. I'm bitter maybe in some capacity. I am going to be um, passive aggressive now in some capacity. Like true righteous anger is so rare. I think we should be very cautious to ever claim it. That's my thing, right? Even the most righteous anger for humans tends to get some human sinful anger mixed in with the righteous anger and it contaminates it. And so I think it's just better to be like, I'm not going to work in that framework, right? Here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to figure out why peacemaking is important and then how to execute that peacemaking in my life, right? So those are the two goals today. Why is peacemaking important? Because I think if we're going to be peacemakers and we're not going to flinch every time we have a frustration, we're not going to judge the other side of whatever 2024 hands to us. If we're going to do that, you have to meditate then on the priority, right? You have to go, I need to go out of my way to think about daily what my objective is in this world. Because this is one of the themes I love of the Bible. I think I did this in the last podcast, last couple, that I am way more into the forest of the story than the individual trees of soul versus the build systematic theologies. I'm all about how do you take all of this and integrate a real daily wisdom that is wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, which is a really interesting kind of opposite parallel, like serpents and doves are the things that I aspire to. Yeah, Jesus tells you to do that. Wisdom like a serpent, right? but gentleness like a dove in the midst of the execution of that wisdom. And I think that's what I'm really calling us to today. When I talk about being peacemakers and being in real-time conversations and situations and environments, it's just getting yourself to go, I need to be wise and gentle right now. I need to slow my internal role. I need to slow and suppress even, if need be, these welling up frustrations that are going to produce words or thoughts or attitudes or perspectives that are causing me to look down on another, be frustrated at another, judge another. I need to reduce that fire, right? And I need to figure out how to be more light than heat in the midst of that. And so the first thing, why is it important? Why do we need to make peacemaking the priority, which means in that then, if I'm going to be judicious, if I'm going to have to assess a problem, I'm coming with the very best potential to help the problem out, or I'm coming with the very best conversation that I can bring in the midst of conflict, because you're going to see conflict this year. You're going to see it on social media. You're going to see it in family discussions. You're going to see it at work with people that differ on what's going on. If, if any... 
anything of 2020 is true to 2024, there's going to be bombastic nuttiness pouring out of the mouths of politicians to no end. And they're going to want to again, rile us up. So the first thing you have to tell yourself is, man, when Jesus gave his opus, right? That epic Sermon on the Mount. I really believe that is the center of the New Testament as far as our marching orders and the path that we're meant to walk. When he opened that up, he talked about these ideas of blesseds, right? What it means to truly be marked and moved and moving in the world in a way that brings real change. And in that list of things, he says what? Blessed are the peacemakers, And not just, hey, blessed are the peacemakers, but blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called what? Sons of God, right? Like that is huge. Like when people look at the peacemakers, they go, oh, like God's kids showed up and they came and they brought good where there was bad. They brought healing where there was division. They brought a sense of relief where there was nothing but pressure. Like that is how important it is. There is no other beatitude that says, oh, people mistake you for God's kid right? That's the one. And again, it is so needed. And in all kinds of things, I mean, forget just the whole 2024 election stuff. Honestly, I'm bringing this up because it's needed in our schools, our workplace, our civil, uh, you know, kind of discourses online and social media. It's needed in our families. It's needed in our marriages. It's needed in our churches, right? This idea of peacemaking, I, I always lament that it's not valued highly enough, even in my own mind, even though I'm a guy who honestly, I go, the Sermon on the Mount, like I said earlier, is the most important message of the entire scripture to me. Um, I still stink at peacemaking. And I'm I'm doing this podcast in part because I've been processing this so much, going, how do I exercise the art of not reacting, but rather reflecting so that I can do something that's peacemaking, right? Because that's the heart behind the whole thing. And Jesus prioritizes it. He's like, it really matters. In fact, it's interesting in the book of Romans chapter one, um, there is this listing in the second half of it of all these, what I'm going to call pagan sins. So Paul's kind of building this case about the sinfulness of humanity. And in chapter one, it's like the pagans, they, they look around at the universe and while God is like clearly revealing himself to them, they blow it off and they worship the created things more than the creator. And then he goes into this list of, and because of this, God gives them over to a current wrath that plays out in all sorts of different ways. They hate parents, sexual sins, you name it. It's all in that first list, right? It's the list that sometimes we as Christians love to look at culture and judge culture by. Like, see, they're all lost. They all do sinful stuff. They're all broken. They don't have the moral code that we do. And what that starts to form up is a type of judgmental attitude toward the disbelieving world. Something that Paul actually warns of in 1 Corinthians 5. He's like, what are you doing judging the world? We're not here to judge the world, right? But we tend to do that. And we'll probably do it over the course of 2024. All right, we're going to do it. And and by the way, we'll do it again, both on the left and the right. There's going to be the Christians on the left that say the Christians on the right aren't really Christian. And the Christians on the right, we're going to say to the Christians on the left, you're not really Christians. Everybody's going to be judging each other as being somehow kind of pagan. And I understand it because there's probably enough sin to go around for all of us. I don't disagree that there's going to be plenty of sin. I just think the attitude we have toward it, we need to work on, right? Anyway. Romans chapter two, you step into Romans chapter two and Paul says, okay, I just laid out the case against the pagans of Romans chapter one, but you all who are religious, oh man, you got a mess on your hands too. You can be just as sinful, if not worse. Here's what he says. He says, you may think you can condemn such people, right? 
But here's what you got to remember. You are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And then this is the one I love. This is why I love this passage. Don't you see, this is what he wants religious people like us even to realize. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? Okay, at many levels, I love this. The first is because it reminds us that all of our poop smells. All of our poop stinks. We're in this boat together, a very stinky boat called the human race, human nature, human sin, human incompleteness. We miss the mark. We we cross a line. We're, we're just good at that, whether it be in our attitudes, our actions, our affections. We all do. And having, again, been in you know the Christian world now for a very long time, in my world, probably 35, 36 years kind of officially, um, and, and I go, man, over the course of that time, I, I've seen how much of the church is kind of worldly and the, the world kind of gets some churchy and it's all in there. And it just reminds me of this Romans two passage that, you know, we tend to kind of judge the world for certain things, but we have our own sins, right? Jerry Bridges wrote a great book on that, right? Called respectable sins. And, 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 and I go, we're all in the same boat, which is kind of Paul's point from Romans one to three is he's just building the case that nobody is untouched to this day by the problem of being incomplete, falling short, missing the mark. Hence, verse four matters, right? Don't you remember how kind and tolerant and patient God was with you? This is the thing we want to now embed. All right, if God is kind, tolerant, and patient, and he uses kindness as the mechanism to turn us from our sins, then if we're facing this world as trying to be peacemakers, we're going to remember that the way to address the problems or the anxieties or the frictions or frustrations is not to have a rational argument, not to have a debate, not to get frustrated, not to have a flinch, but to say, how can I now in this moment uh, embed kindness in, in my soul so I can express it to the people I'm interacting with or thinking about or, or processing as they're writing stuff online, whatever it is, right? How can I do that thing? How can I be in that space? Because that's really what counts. It, it just takes us kind of just grabbing a hold of ourselves and just pulling ourselves back into our seat when we want to rise up and have a thing, you know, which is, it's a, it's an emotion. Like we don't govern those well. I get that. This is why you almost have to start using like behavioral therapy training modules, you know, to like, okay, I want to react. Don't react. Don't climb. Don't jump. Don't move. Don't flinch. Don't whatever. Do it this way. Because here's what it says in James chapter three. If you are wise and understand God's ways, he says, prove it. By living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. See, what I love about this is I've had an opinion for years that um, there's kind of a difference between information and wisdom. And I remember when I was a young uh, intern and pastor and just a hardcore 5.5 5.5 Calvinist. I found a way to put another 0.5 in there somehow. And I had all the information, but I had none of the humility. I had none of the wisdom. So everything was just aggressive. Everything was just barbed. Everything was black and white. Everything was good, bad, white hats, black hats, you name it. Everything was a dividing line. And and, and now after all of this time, I realize, oh, what's the key to really implementing all of that information? Well, it's buckling humility and wisdom together right? Because I find with the knowledge, there's pride. 
But in the humility, you then generate this other byproduct, this underlier of wisdom that is far more powerful and I actually think is the intention of the information. I don't think the intention of the information is to memorize thousands of verses and have an answer for everything. I think the the idea is to memorize thousands of verses to generate wisdom for what of circumstance you are in life. And in that, part of the route of the wisdom is the humility. So then as we're facing the challenges of 2024 and the different broken relationships that we're ever going to come across and the different frictions in life, how can I slow myself down? How can I let all the aggregate of all of God's words to me kind of filter in in such a way that it generates a humility in my soul so it can generate then wisdom in my words and in my disposition also? right? How can I, again, reduce the heat and produce the light? That's kind of the heart there. Because to me, I I think that's what matters, right? I think that's the stuff that we have to get really, really fantastic at doing, and it's not going to be easy, right? It's just not going to be easy because we're we're going to be way more tempted to judge. We're going to be way more tempted to be angry. If somebody disagrees with us or we disagree with somebody on their thing or whatever else, it's going to be way more easy for us to just be frustrated at them or be just even as we we talk to them, it's going to sound more like a confrontation or it's going to sound combative or it's going to sound off-putting or whatever else. But that's not the stuff that heals the world and that's not the stuff that we're called to do. So what are we called to do? Well, here I want to just remind you of practicing the steps, right? Hopefully I gave you the importance of from the Sermon on the Mount, Paul's words in Romans. Also, his brother James wrote some words in James 3 about, hey man, humility and wisdom are what's buckled together. Anger and pride and frustration and judgment, they're all in kind of one camp where I think humility and wisdom and peacemaking are in another camp and we want to do that. So what do we want to do first? Stop. Before we do anything, we want to stop, right? James 119, he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I agree, James. I agree. Which is why, again, I go back to be cautious with this idea of validating or or authenticating righteous anger um, because I just don't think we, we wield it well. I don't think we carry it in our back pocket in an effective way. It gets in the way more than it helps out, right? So, we want to quick to listen. What are they saying? Why are they saying it? That was one of the biggest lessons I learned. I, I think I shared on the podcast recently where I, I went to an event and it was kind of like the LGBTQ crowd versus the anti-LGBTQ crowd. Um, and and as you listen to more of the pride community, as you heard their words, what you realize underlying their words was fear. There was a lot of fear, right? So there was tempers and there was anger, but when you really listened, it was all related to fear. And I think that's kind of using that James speak instead of saying, they all sound angry. They all sound woke and worked up to go. But if you really pay attention, they're afraid, right? And if you then can get to that, then you can, you, then you can get to the real root of the discussion. How can I help you not feel afraid? What are the things that maybe we do that we don't realize we're doing that make you feel afraid? Like that's just an example in real time right now, but we're all wanting to do that. We're wanting to use that. So the reason you listen is not to build your argument. The reason, because that's what we tend to do. Oh, they wrote this. They said this. They did that. Oh, here's my reply. And so we're not really listening to their heart, to their inner thing that is feeling the pressures. We're just trying to figure out how to be right. And we don't want to figure out how to be right. We want to figure out how to bring peace. So this is why he says, Be slow, don't speak, and man, ward off the anger you're going to feel inside, right? And I'm going to link with that. Ward off the judgment you're going to feel inside, right? 
It's okay to be judicious, to see problems, but to be judgmental is to be self-righteous, I think, to a large extent. It's to forget that we all have planks sticking out of our own faces, and until we deal with the plank in our own face, we really can't deal with the speck in another person's eye, because once we deal with our plank, when it comes to dealing with their speck, it's not going to be, hey, your stupid, sinful speck is in your eye. It's going to be, oh, my friend, I hurt for you. That speck must be awful. How can I alleviate the burden? See, that's the temperament tone shift. And so the first step is just, man, listen, slow, don't react, right? But then when you do speak, speaking in a spirit of gentleness, love this out of Deuteronomy 6. He says, dear brothers and sisters, this is verse one. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens And in this way, obey the law of Christ. But if you think you're too important to help someone, then you're only fooling yourself and you are not that important. Man, man, Paul just like slams down at the end there. But but here's what I love about this, all right? Again, it gives us the plan, right? When you see something going on in another person's life, so you're seeing things that you go, that seems short-sighted, broken, sinful, arrogant, whatever the thing you're seeing, right? How do you come? You come alongside like you care. You come with a spirit of gentleness and humility, right? Because you want to help that person. You don't want to be just put out at that person. You don't want to be at odds with that person. You don't want to just correct that person or fix that person as though you can manhandle that person into a different way of thinking. Because when we do that, we usually just kind of up the temperature again. We just create more friction and more ferocity in their heart. And we're not going to start to really see any kind of healing. We're just going to see greater division and rift. And so when we kind of think about as we're approaching all of the different broken points we see in life, all the different broken relationships, or all of the perceptions we have of people that we think, you know, they're 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 losing their ever-loving mind or whatever else, we have to go through this process. We have to go, okay, what, why are they in that space? So I'm going to be slow. I'm not going to get angry. And then in that, I'm going to make sure that I, I, I'm practicing this, this gentleness, this humility. I'm trying to come alongside them. I don't want to understand them. And then when I understand them, I can speak into them. And as I speak into them, I can do it not because I have this kind of wide-eyed plankedness of judgment in me, but because I have a real sensitivity to the speck that is in their eye and I really do care about them. And I really do want their suffering to end in some way or the frustration to go down or their fears to go away or their or their actions that are wrong to be peeled out of their life, right? Because we want to remember at the end of this whole thing, the goal in all of it is not to be right. It's not to call people out. It's not to um, make sure we just elevate the truth at the cost of their heart, right? Because I think that sometimes happens. You got to speak the truth and love, but it's the truth. And sometimes there's really no love in the speaking of the truth. But see, we don't want to be in that space. We want to be in the space of what we saw in James. We want to be in the space of what we saw in Galatians. The heart of what we see in Matthew, in Romans, and in James chapter 3, where we're coming in, we're coming alongside, we're caring for, we're hurting with, we're interested in, not just winning, but winning over. We're interested in alleviating burden, not creating more burden. We care about bringing unity and continuity, not simply friction and division. Because that's the stuff of being peacemakers. That's the stuff of being everyday missionaries, right? What the world needs is a people that really are different. 
I mean, I'm seeing that even as we're going through the book of Deuteronomy as a church on Sunday mornings. In Deuteronomy chapter four, God says, here's why I'm creating this nation. And his idea there is because I want you to be intelligent and wise so that all the surrounding nations see your wisdom and intelligence and they're blown away by it. And then they're blown away by the God that you follow and the love that he has for you. And I believe if we fast forward that into the New Testament, Jesus takes that to a whole new level. And he says, that's what I want from my community of faith. I want them to be what Israel is supposed to be, but in a new matrix. And that matrix is the matrix of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, the fruit of the Spirit, the definition of love. That's the matrix. And when we do that, when we own that, then we are agents of flourishing and healing in a divided and decaying world. And that's what it needs. So this year, as we go into 2024, don't give in to the crime of vilification, frustration, judgment, anger, being sick and tired of those people over there. Resist that. Resist that. And instead, be that really crazy upside down and backwards person that is constantly trying to figure out how do I bring peace to this world of brokenness? Because the more we do that, you know the answer, the more we're living as everyday missionaries.